0: November. um, I was associated with exams and the smell of gunpowder. So uh, all those who are here uh, doing exams, um, God bless you. Um, I've had the privilege of working with um, students at the university this week uh, supervising their exams. Is that a privilege? I'm not sure sometimes, but it's been kind of fun. We're looking over their shoulder to see what exams they're doing. The exam on thermodynamics completely floored me. Um, That's not my gig at all. Um, But uh, yeah, so I know it's exam season and tonight I'm sure uh, those wafts of gunpowder through the window uh, may trigger memories of... um Anyway, so listen, now last time I was with you, um, uh, we've been looking at passages in Matthew And as I've been kind of thinking about um, Matthew, um, some alarming things have happened in the world Since I was last with you, yet another war in the Middle East has broken out and of course the Middle East is plagued with the conflicts and turmoil. Of course, Ukraine, that conflict struggles on. Uh, We think of the conflicts that there are possibly as we watch how the American election scene works out for another year of that. Um, We think of um, some of the conversations, some of the conflicts, um, some of the claims that have been made during our own um, election season recently. And I may be a bit presumptuous here, but I've been thinking about the state of the world and I've come to the idea that perhaps what we observe in the world, what produces a lot of our anxiety as we watch the world around us, is two words, and I give these two words to you today, arrogance and violence. Now, I'm a bit presumptuous condensing all of world history and the state of the news today down to two words, but I think there's something in that, arrogance and violence, because those two words are perfectly consistent with a biblical view of the world, where we read in the Psalms Nations will rage against nations. Uh, We read about um, pride uh, being the fundamental core problem of humanity. We're back in Genesis chapter 3. Pride, wanting to make a name for ourselves, that arrogance that we could actually run the world better than God can. And so I think, as we think about the state of the world, Um, I think arrogance and violence are two words that are legitimate as we try and interpret what's happening around us. Somebody once said that war is due to the lack of imagination. We need, I think, a different way of being. I look at the violence in the world around us, I think there's got to be some other way of doing this. There's got to be some other way the Palestinians and the Israelis can get along somehow. There's got to be some other way where the Ukrainians and the Russians can sort their differences out. There must be some other way where the Democrats and the Republicans in America can get along. We need a new vision of the world. And I'd put it to you that this is what today's readings offer us. We may be thinking about personal and individual things that we need to work on, discipleship, and we may be thinking about community and global issues, arrogance and violence personally, arrogance and violence globally now we read in Revelation chapter 7 the end point where all nations members of all nations will one day stand before the throne worshipping God, that's the end point, so in all the arrogance and violence in the world today, hold on to that end point, it will work out okay, the means to that end point is Matthew chapter 5 and rightly pointed out by Olive, we're surrounded by the text today. If this all falls off the lectern, we'll just revert to, I love this idea that we're wrapped, we're wrapped with the Beatitudes uh, in this very hall here. So if, if you find me droning on and you get distracted, uh, try and interpret. Um, I, love, I love it. This is great. Um, it was a pleasant surprise when I walked in this morning to find that we're wrapped with the Beatitudes here. <coughs> when we look at the Beatitudes in chapter 5, just before it, we realize, of course, that when Jesus sits down on the mountain to teach, he is surrounded by the nations of the world. If you read before that, um, we realize that people from Syria, way up north, from the east, from the Decapolis, from from Galilee, way down south, are on this mountain. So there's a hint of Revelation chapter 7 already, where the nations of the world have come into the Galilee area. And as Jesus teaches them, there's this little Um, deposit, perhaps, of where this kingdom of heaven is going to go. It's an announcement. Jesus takes the posture of a rabbi, a teacher, kind of like a second Moses. He sits down and he teaches the crowds made up of all these people and his disciples and gives a manifesto. It's a vision. It's a vision of what this new kingdom that he's bringing is all about, It's it's a vision that counters the very arrogance and violence that these people themselves would have encountered being under Roman occupation. It's also an invitation. It's a list of principles. It's aspirational. We're going to strive towards this. I mean, you look at these and you go, oh, there's no way I could achieve any of that. Well, that's part of the point. We're supposed to strive towards that, but also we are declared to be that. There's this tension, I think, in the Beatitudes all through the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 to 7, where we are declared to be. You are the salt of the earth. You are, you know, a light on a hill. And yet we're also supposed to strive towards it. It's an invitation and announcement. We are to work towards them, but we have already been declared this. So look at, I'm going to separate these out. Now look, at, look at who we are as disciples of Jesus. Poor in spirit. Those who mourn. The meek those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, peacemakers, and persecuted. If you tease those out, these are in some sense the contours of the land we walk on. This is our DNA as disciples of Jesus. I'm wondering if you actually tease those words out, if you can identify yourself. Poor in spirit, mourn, meek, Hungry and thirsting after righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaker, any of these you, any of these in the priorities of who you want to become. Now there's a sermon in each of those, I assure you, and to cover the whole whole of this in 10, 12 minutes uh, is a challenge. And English at this point does not do us any favors. What does meek mean? I have no idea. Um, what does mourn? We don't use that word too much. It is there, meek, mourn, poor in spirit. Ah, you know, English doesn't do us any favors here. And um, but I think what we need to do is to to take these this list of of this invitational list, this announcement of who we are, and go away perhaps in the week ahead and think about it. Thinking also, looking at these through the lens of arrogance and violence. How do these counter? a world of arrogance and violence. Who are we as disciples of Christ? This is who we are. This is who we're called to be. And this is the status that God has given us. We are called to be. This list here, which you can go away and meditate on. Now, I want to think of them as a whole, because if we actually try and tease them apart, you get a sense of repetition. What's the difference between poor in spirit and meek and merciful? They're kind of similar, right? If, If you see them as a whole, then I think... We get a pretty good picture of what a disciple of Jesus starts to look like. Now, I love this word "blessed" because, in some sense, I have no idea what it actually means. Um, the, the, um, when we, we lived in England for a while, and one of the English things that do is, "Oh bless," would do something and they'd approve of what you're doing. They say, "Oh bless," like going, "That's amazing. I feel really blessed living in England." Because, "Oh bless," you know, it's a lovely day. "Oh bless," <clears throat> and we don't hear, We don't say that in, in New Zealand here, but there's a sense in which. Well, that's kind of cool. I said blessing. Well, what does that actually mean? What does it mean to be blessed? Well, this list is actually called the Beatitudes for a good reason because the word happy is part of it. So some of your translations, I think the Good News Bible, has happy are those who, happy are those who, and beatitude has this nuance of happiness to it. Now, I've been doing some reading this week about dopamine. Now, that completely caught you by surprise, wouldn't it? I've shifted now to brain chemistry. Dopamine is this chemical chemical in your brain, it's called the happy drug. And it's released when something amazing happens in your life. You get this little buzz of, woof! wow, that's amazing, that's cool. And it gives you the sense, this experience of joy and happiness. There's a chemical basis to that. And scientists have worked out that not only (coughs) is dopamine released in your brain when something amazing happens, but it's released even more so when your expectations are exceeded. Does that kind of make sense? Now, let me give you an example. We've moved down from Auckland down to Christchurch. We've heard that the west West coast is really, really wet and miserable, right? So we thought we're gonna go and check this out. So over a labor weekend, we thought we're gonna go over to the west coast, have a bit of a holiday. Ah, what about the weather? So as the labor labor weekend came closer and closer, we kept checking the weather forecast, and it looked better and better. The isobars became spread out, no wind, yay. And as we're driving towards the west coast, down the Buller Gorge, we're going, this is actually starting to look really good. And if you remember, Labor Weekend, well, I don't know what it was like in Christchurch, but over on the west coast, it was spectacularly awesome. Beautiful Sunday, crystal clear, not a breath of wind, Blistering hot spring summer sun, the deep riches of the beach forest was totally awesome, and the west coast exceeded any expectation I had of it, and I was on a dopamine high for all of Sunday. It's one of the most happy days of my life, and I kid you not, it was just, it was unrushed, it was, it was a holiday mood, and I'm thinking, what does everybody complain about with the west coast? It's just awesome. I want to live over here. This is the idea with this happiness. And when you read through the other half of each of these Beatitudes, think of them as a bit of a dopamine hit. They are to exceed your expectations. you receive the kingdom of heaven. You will be comforted. You will inherit the earth. You will be filled for those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You will be filled. Your hunger and thirst will be slated. Is that the right word, slated? You will receive mercy. You will see God, you will become children of God. This is better than the West Coast on a sunny day. Christian discipleship is one big hit of dopamine, okay? Can you imagine yourself into this different way of being? Where is the arrogance and the violence when that is your reward? That is the status in which we live. Indeed, as a whole, These should excite us and exceed our expectations of religion and law. These are how God sees us and deposits in us something of his coming kingdom. It's not a reward. Well, it is kind of a reward. But it's more than a reward. It's a status of being as we start to live as disciples of Christ. Arrogance and violence. I encourage you to go away during the week and think and pray and meditate on each of these um, how does each of these beatitudes counter the arrogance and violence we see around us in the world today? I'm trying to be thinking of two words. So I'm thinking humility, arrogance, humility. I'm still struggling with the word that may counter violence. We'll come to that in a minute. But I want you to look at this image up on the board here. We were living in a small town in South and once, and the Spates clydesdale wagon came to town i don't know if you remember this i don't know if spate still does this but they have six clydesdales so these are clydesdales here these six beautiful horses pulling a big you know wagon of barrels of beer right and the idea is you're supposed to get excited about this and start drinking spate's beer when they came to town i was just gobsmacked by these clydesdales they are massive huge beautiful powerful horses And I was thinking as the spate's wagon rolled into town, I thought, boy, I hope those horses do not break out of their harnesses. I would not like one of those galloping down the street because they are so powerful and so strong. Now the image that I want to really expand on here is this image is picked up in the word meek. How on earth is that meek? Well, let me explain. The word meek in Greek is also the word that's used when a war horse is tamed to do what it's needed to do in battle. Now, we're trying to get a ray of violence, right? So I've gone to an agricultural image, right? So let's think of this. You think of all the power in that horse, and if you can get that horse and bridle it and harness it, this is the word for meek. Did you realize that? We tend to think of meek as, oh, the doormat. You're going to be meek. I can walk all over you. That's not the image here at all. The image is strength under control. Now, if you read the Beatitudes with meek strength under control, they start to read a little bit differently, don't they? Isn't that a fantastic image? It's quite legitimate Uh, in the Greek there of this idea. If you look at Greek literature about the agricultural process, the word meek in terms of how they train their animals is there. Power under control. So we're called to be meek, we'll inherit the earth. We're called to be poor in spirit. Ours will be the kingdom of heaven. We get heaven and earth joining together in this whole discipleship journey that we're on. And Jesus is going to teach his disciples a couple of chapters from now how to pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven and earth are joined in our whole discipleship journey. But listen, it's not all. I was going to say beer and Skittles. It's all. What's a more appropriate one for a Christian audience? Bed of roses. Here we go. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things. All right? Hang on a minute. We're going like this is amazing, but we're going to be persecuted as well. I think persecution is overrated. Um, you know, we do some pretty dumb stuff as Christians, and people slang off at us, and we probably deserve it. But here, it's when you are persecuted because of me, for my sake. Ah. Right blessed are we who are persecuted for the sake of jesus now that kind of makes sense because if we actually follow these beatitudes we are going to be different we are going to be subverting the very culture of arrogance and violence that's we're surrounded by we will be different we will stand out and people will start to harass us and persecute us now when we read about persecution often we think oh it's somewhere else right I think of all the poor people over on some mission field somewhere who are persecuted for the sake of the gospel. But I'll put it to you, I think, as as we watch how New Zealand's developing and the state of the church in New Zealand and our own Christian witness, I suspect it's seeping in more and more into our own fabric of society here. So watch out for that. If it comes your way for the sake of Christ, there's blessing in it. Somewhere, somehow, God promises us that. But there will be blessing in it. And we are called to rejoice and be glad. Because, ultimately, we have that Revelation 7 picture, that's the final destination, where members of every race and tribe and language will be worshipping around the throne. And to be persecuted for Christ's sake is not the end game that's only on the way to the end game, which is Revelation 7. Now, Jesus tells us that nothing of this is actually new. Matthew, as he's writing Jesus' words here, reminds us that none of this is new. Because rejoice and be glad... because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In some sense, Jesus is taking the words of the prophets and opening them up and expanding them. And let me just finish then by referring us to one prophet that I'm sure must have been ringing in Jesus' ears as he was explaining this. And that prophet is, of course, Micah. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, we have, so long before Jesus we have this counter to the arrogance and violence of the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Romans, whoever the power is at the time. We have this counter, and this is the counter that I want to leave with you today. The counter for arrogance, love mercy, Micah says. The counter for violence, act justly, and it will lead to a kingdom of peace because Micah says, Walk humbly then with your God. Amen.